Hello, gardeners, farmers, compost enthusiasts, and growers. Welcome to The Healthy Garden, the show where soil is important and growing a healthier world is job one. Hello, truth-tellers, seekers of truth, collectors of wisdom, new stewards of the earth, and anyone brave enough to get off the hamster wheel of faux organic and conventional gardening. Welcome to episode number 32 of the Healthy Garden Podcast. Faux organic is death. What do I mean by that? Maybe you've never heard that term before, which is fine because I think maybe I coined it. I've been saying that for quite a while, years in fact, and I've been more and more active with the term the deeper I've gotten over the years into organic farming and gardening. To me, farming and gardening are life. They represent two of the best things that the world has to offer. They can also represent two of the worst things that the world has to offer. I love the dichotomy of life, how contradictory things can be, love and hate, and how harsh they can be, rich and poor, freedom and slavery. They elicit responses from us. I put true organic and faux organic into that category of contradiction. And to an organic snob like me, even harsh. My dear, dear pals at Merriam-Webster define dichotomy as a noun, meaning a division into two especially mutually exclusive or contradictory groups or entities. That dichotomy between theory and practice. Also, the process of practice making such a division, dichotomy of the population in two opposed classes, rich and poor, something with seemingly contradictory qualities. It's a dichotomy, like an opulent hotel on a boat harbor. So back to what is faux organic, and yes, I am completely aware that I did an episode called Fee-Fi Faux Organics. It was episode 19. It was an introduction to the world that I call faux organic. If you haven't heard it, I highly recommend it. There are a few things in life that really tick me off. Get my goat, steam my grits, make me go through the roof, go postal, flip my lid, you get it, blow a gasket. Lying, cheating, stealing, specifically institutional lying, stealing, and cheating. That's what I think goes into the governing, manufacturing, advertising, marketing, and selling of things. That's what the charlatans, the snake oil manufacturers who peddle faux organic do. They hide behind the shield and armor of the machine. Big ag, big chem, big money, banks, and big government. The deception goes all the way to the top, and we pay for it. By buying it, supporting it, accepting it. Well, hopefully, for you, my friends... That ends today.
Hey there, healthy gardeners. Compost, true organic compost, is the elixir of life when it comes to your garden. Booze Blend Compost is farm-made, true organic, biodynamic, and non-GMO. It's 100% finished compost that is safe and clean to use in your healthy garden. And a little top dressing of the boo goes a long way. So stop by and pick up a bag or 10 at your local retailer today. And if you don't have a store nearby, go online at malibucompost.com. Way back in a galaxy, far, far away, I wrote a blog called Faux Organic, The Snake Oil of Gardening. That was April 19th of this year. It was only a month ago, but it seems very far away from today. And the podcast, episode number 19, Fee Fi Faux Organics, hit the internet machine in a complete other lifetime, December 18th, 2019. It's crazy to look at the world today and the world of 2019 as it came to a close and moved into 2020. I don't know about you guys, but I had a lot of hope for 2020. I was looking forward to this year. Last year had been a tough one for me on a lot of personal levels, and I was excited to be moving on. Little did I know that the world was about to become a ball of confusion, racked in fear, with the big mouse of media screaming, be afraid. 24 hours a day, and the government taking the term big government to a whole new level. As I've stated before, and I'll state it again, I am a product of the 70s who grew up on David Bowie and punk rock. As a kid, a teenager, a young adult, and a man, I have never put my faith or my trust in the police, the government, big business, science, big chem, big oil, big ag, big money, big food, big tech, and even big religion. I don't trust any of them as far as I can throw them, which is nowhere. Not even an inch. And that is as much as I trust anything that they have to say, offer, sell, dictate, govern, or swear on a stack $100 bills. Because they swear that they have your best interest at heart. And I have always known that that is absolute bullshit. Steer manure. And if you know me at all, you know that I never use steer manure. Although I do feel horrible for those poor animals. Yes, animals, not livestock. That disgusting form of fertilizer death that they come from. I wish that mankind would think twice, even once, about how disgusting it is to kill pigs in mass and grind them up to fertilize farms, conventional farms, I hope. It's insanity. I saw this a couple of weeks back as everyone was saddened by the story as they watched at home in lockdown on CNN or Fox and MSNBC, NBC, CBS at the atrocities of hog murder. But they sat there with zero power to do anything about it. That's more frightening to me than the merciless slaughter of innocent animals who give people meat 
give people their lives so they can have bacon on everything except ice cream. They give their lives in a gulag that is what farming and meatpacking, big ag and its brother big food are. How does it feel to sit at home and watch this with no option than to toe the party line, fall in step, and agree that, there, that this is what must be done because there is nowhere to sell the meat, sell the bacon or the fat of these poor animals who give everything for the food chain. Why? Why isn't there? Check out this little excerpt from Time Magazine and AP writer David Pitt on May 1st. After spending two decades raising pigs to send to slaughterhouses, Dean Meyer now faces the mentally draining, physically difficult task of killing them even before they leave his northwest Iowa farm. Meyer said he and other farmers across the Midwest have been devastated by the prospect of euthanizing hundreds of thousands of hogs after the temporary closure of giant pork production plants due to the coronavirus. The unprecedented dilemma for the U.S. pork industry has forced farmers to figure out how to kill healthy hogs and dispose of the carcasses weighing up to 300 pounds in landfills or by composting them on farms for fertilizer. Meyer, who has already killed baby pigs to reduce his herd size, said it's awful but necessary. Believe me, we're double-stocking barns. We're putting pigs in pens that we never had pigs in before, just trying to hold them. We're feeding them diets that have low energy just to try to stall their growth and just to maintain, said Meyer, who also grows corn and soybeans on his family farm near Rock Rapids. Hmm, the plot thickens. Also, from an article in MinPost by Walker Ornstein on April 23rd, Pork farmers aren't the first industry in agriculture to face brutal choices during the COVID pandemic. As demand for eggs has dropped, farmers are euthanizing chickens and farmers are throwing away milk and plowing under crops around the country. A CEO from Minnesota Pork Board said that the Pork Board is working to figure out how to help farmers humanely kill and properly dispose of them. Pigs are slaughtered at processing facilities so farmers don't have to experience the wide-scale depopulation. As for disposal, one common technique is composting. The sudden need for composting help has given the state government in Minnesota a new role. They try to pull together massive quantities of material like wood chips, corn stalks, sawdust, and straw. The state has been trying to find large quantities of the stuff to help farmers. The state can't buy it since COVID-19 is not known to affect livestock, but the Animal Health Board can play the role of middleman to connect farmers to materials. A state survey already has dozens of responses from companies with wood chips, raw tree material, sawdust, leaf compost, and more to offer. It's also legal to incinerate, bury pigs in certain soils, or send pigs to landfills. What kind of world, what kind of industry, what kind of civilization can be so inhumane as to look at this as a disposal issue? The world of big ag, big food, big university, that's who. And if you buy conventional or organic products that are derived from this fabulous group, then you, all of us, are supporting the problem, death. There could be 10 million hogs destroyed in my view, killed by September as a result of plant production shutdowns brought on, brought on by the coronavirus pandemic. 
10 million hogs, you guys. Maybe the message should be that we need to change the way we consume, who we buy from, start to move away from the greed model to the humane model of true organic farming and supporting thousands of small local true organic farmers and augment that with growing food at home and in real true organic community gardens. It all goes back to death. The world's biggest meat companies, Smithfield Foods, Cargill, Tyson, have all halted the slaughterhouse operations and processing plants in North America. You know what comes from processing plants, guys? Bone meal, blood meal, and feather meal. Death. And now because workers have fallen ill, the plants have shut down, and the big mouse at the media have been at it again, stoking global fears of a meat shortage. Maybe we should quit relying on big meat to feed the world, at least the Western world and China and its spider web of allies. Big Ag sees itself as a victim of a sprawling food industry crisis that began with the mass closure of restaurants, which upended the supply chain, and this caused massive storage issues and forced farmers and processors to destroy everything from milk to salad greens to animals. On one farm in Minnesota, a crew from Daybreak Foods arrived with carts and tanks of carbon dioxide to euthanize their 61,000 egg-laying hens earlier this month. Daybreak Foods is a supplier of liquid eggs to restaurants and food service companies. They own the birds, and they pay contract farmers to feed and care for them. They normally haul the eggs to Cargill, but Cargill's idled their facility because of the pandemic. So let's just gas the birds. Does any of this scare you? It does me. And why am I telling you all of this on a gardening show? Because none of the other phony-ass gardening shows are experts will. Because many of them are owned and sponsored by the vicious cycle of death. Hi, it's Norma, biological farmer and producer of the Healthy Garden Podcast. Did you know that Malibu Compost now has true organic protocol steps to take when growing food in ground, growing in raised beds or containers, and growing fruit trees? Look at the bottom of their homepage, choose the option that you're currently using or will be using, and you will find the steps that the true organic gardeners new stewards of the earth, and new victory gardeners are taking to stop the faux organic in their garden. Just go to malibucompost.com for your organic protocol steps today.
We've all heard the old expression, preaching to the choir. It's an old saying that came from a quote in an article from the Lima News of Ohio back in 1973. The original quote was, he said he felt like the minister was preaching to the choir. The original construct of that phrase was coined by John Stuart Mill in a letter to the Times of London back in 1857. He wrote, It is an old saying. No, he actually went it like this. It is an old saying that to preach to the converted is a useless office. And I may add, to preach to the unconvertible is a thankless office. Boy, do I understand that. When it comes to gardening, especially organic gardening, gardeners have thirsted for the quick, easy, holy grail of organics since the 1990s and the early 2000s, when organic actually became a thing with the passing of the Organic Food Production Act of 1990. That was when the government asked the USDA to create national standards for organic products. It took 10 years for the Agricultural Marketing Service of the USDA to come up with the standards for organic that were added to the Federal Register in 2000. That's when the frenzy surrounding marketing organic began. We were told through messaging in the marketplace, by influencers in Hollywood, and by other socially driven marketing campaigns that we all needed to shop organic, buy organic, eat organic, and grow organic. I, too, was under the spell of the new organic illusion. I had young kids and wanted to feed them and raise them on the best possible foods available. I don't think that my youngest daughter ever ate anything that wasn't natural organic from the moment she took her first swallow of baby food. Being part of the Southern California lifestyle, we were the perfect guinea pigs for organic. We ate it up because we wanted to believe We prided ourselves in promoting a healthy, surfed-out lifestyle. Groovy, right? Between California, Oregon, and Colorado, the USDA and the AMS had their battleground states in place as they launched this new global juggernaut. Sales for organic products in 2000 reached over $7.8 billion, which isn't bad for a new industry. Today, the organic market sells over $50 billion worth of products every year, and that is climbing. And that's why Kroger, Walmart, and every other big food participant is in the game. Money. This is where organic becomes the fair game of the snake oil salesman. The ideology of organic and organic products is a good and noble thing, as was the original snake oil that was introduced to the West by Chinese immigrants who were working on the Transcontinental Railroad during the gold rush. The snake oil they used came from Chinese water snakes, and the oil was rich in omega-3 fatty acids. It helped with arthritis, bursitis, or muscles, inflammation. We use omega-3s all the time today. It worked because the Chinese water snakes were high in fatty acids. Enter Clark Stanley, the grandfather of the modern snake oil salesman. He was a self-described cowboy and rattlesnake king. He launched his snake oil assault on the world at the World's Fair in Chicago in 1893. According to the pamphlets that Stanley handed out at the World's Fair, he had spent years conquering the West and had learned about the powers of his snake oil from the Hopi snake dancers 
who taught him how to stare down the venomous snakes without fear. Stanley's rattlesnake snake oil was the ultimate liniment for pain, lameness, frostbite, chill, bruises, sore throat, and animal and insect bites. His liniments were advertised as good for everything a liniment ought to be good for. People flocked to Stanley's exhibit to watch him grab rattlesnakes from a bag, then slice them open and drop them into a giant vat of boiling water. The snake's fat would rise to the surface of the vat, and Stanley would skim it off the top and mix it with his patented concoction of ingredients and sell it for 50 cents a bottle as Clark Stanley's Snake Oil Liniment. Through his amazing sideshow theatrics, the cowboy, Clark Stanley, was able to launch a snake oil empire. Just so you know, rattlesnakes have almost no fatty acids or omega-3s. Now, enter the entire world of organic products that are kind of organic, may have a little organic in them, or just absolute snake oil. Look at, in quotes, organic fertilizer. There are a ton of them in the lawn and garden market that are labeled organic. Many of these products have very little real organic inputs in them. Some have 30%, some have 70%, some 95% and some even 100%. The problem, even with organic products, because of the short-sightedness of the USDA, the AMS, and the organic rules and regulations, is that many of the inputs that qualify things as organic are absolutely not organic. And that opens the door for snake oil companies to market their organic products to you, the unsuspecting gardener who thinks that because something is labeled organic, it actually is not The Clark Stanleys of today, many of the corporations that make organic garden products do only what they need to, to meet the minimum standards set by the organic standard boards. And I mean the bare minimum to get their sketchy organic products into the marketplace and into your garden with lots of advertising dollars, giveaways, and promotions through retailers. All you have to do is flip a bag over Or turn the box around and look at the ingredients. The proof is right there in black and white on the label of your favorite organic gardening products. If you take the time to look, you'll see the red flag. You'll hear the warning siren. The alarm should sound off in your brains once you see the trail of death. And that is in the products. The faux organic products. If you see bone meal, blood meal, feather meal, or cottonseed meal in them as inputs and they're labeled organic... They're faux. All of these are byproducts from conventional agriculture and come from animals that were fed GMO corn, soy, and alfalfa. All of these are sprayed with the broad-spectrum herbicide glyphosate. The poor animals eat this garbage, and then it is absorbed into their bloodstream, their bone, their organs, their skin, their hair, or feathers. And then once the animals have been through the fabulous slaughter process... Their remains are dried, flash-frozen, and ground up for use in our gardens. Yummy, right? Remember the guy in the first article I quoted from, Dean Meyer? He's not only a hog farmer, but also a corn producer and board member of the Iowa Corn Growers Association. In another article that I found him quoted on, on GMO corn, he said, 
that he understands that Iowa corn growers play a major role in the food supply chain and feeding the rapidly growing world population as well as the ethanol production and the world grain market. These issues put Iowa corn growers in the middle of the controversy surrounding genetically modified organisms and the viability of ethanol to reduce the use of gasoline. Further, Meyer questioned if the growing world population can be fed with non-GMO seed. He explains that yield protection is a primary function of the various traits of GMO seed. What the public doesn't understand, hi, we're the public, of the protection of these traits, GMO seed doesn't increase genetic yield of the hybrid, but protecting the yield inherent in a particular hybrid is the benefit, said Meyer. I would argue that because of these trait benefits, yields are higher with GMO seed. At the same time, he believes that there can be room in the market for GMO and non-GMO corn. I think there's a market for both, but to continue feeding this growing world population, GMO seeds need to be a major player in agriculture. Hmm. And there, my friends, is the problem. You hear what he believes? He's probably a good guy. He's a farmer. He probably didn't start out with this concept, but it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And because glyphosate residue is still in the products that many, many, many people buy, scientists and university research paper paid for Big Chem and Big Pharma and Big Ag say that it's only in small doses and that they are not harmful to humans, although they kill all kinds of other things. Well, in other studies, it has been proven over and over that toxins and poisons in small doses over a long period of time can cause cancer and other illnesses related to environmental pollution. And that is exactly what you are doing to your garden when you're using these faux organic products. You are polluting your garden, your soil, your plants, and ultimately you and your family. Faux organic may sound good or even look good with pretty bags and catchy slogans. You might even get some for free if you buy a bunch first. How can companies give away free stuff? It must not be worth much in the first place is what I usually conclude. Ultimately, it's buyer beware. Do your research. Dig a little deeper before you buy just on a name or a price. Does the person or expert who recommended a product to you actually eat think and grow organic, true organic? If not, turn away from the sideshow and seek to support companies that are true organic and farms that are true organic. It's big ag, big food, big chem who supply faux organic. And that is why faux organic is death. That concludes this episode of the Healthy Garden Podcast. Please post your questions on the Healthy Garden Podcast pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join us next week to learn more about how you can free yourself from the chemical and synthetic trap that's been set to keep you from growing a true, organic, and healthy garden. Until then, happy and healthy gardening.